So today is our Uposadate, and uh, <coughs> we recited, uh, Ajanti Dipanya recited uh, the rules for us, uh, which we do every fortnight. And uh, we did a quite uh, a beautiful Padimoka. So this is a day uh, for the bhikkhus and also the, um, we don't have any novices now, the Anagarkas to recollect their precepts. Um, and then also tonight, uh, as all the lay people took their precepts as well. So it's that, that common faith that we have that if we trust in the guidelines that the, the Buddha set up for us, um, some of them moral, some of them not based on a moral precept, like uh, not eating in the afternoon, um, or not, not entertaining, those aren't necessarily moral. Um, but they're guidelines, they're guides for us uh, around simplicity, renunciation, and just a general care around our behavior, carefulness around our behavior. And so I've, I've just been reflecting around uh, why, we, why we choose to, to follow um, precepts, why, why there's an interest in that. Um, But also, you know, what it is, how do we relate to, to these as principles? How do we relate to these um, as rules? And some people, you know, some people actually um, in their life have kind of, maybe they've found following rules really joyful or something that's quite, uh, quite helpful for them. They, they've uh, enjoyed that that sense of, um, of having a, a way um, that they can curb their behavior from an external source. So they, they have some sort of guideline they take from someone else and then they say, okay, does that work for me? Or they just have trust in it working. And others, it's uh, not that way at all. Uh, it can be a sense of rebelliousness or um, rules are meant to be broken and this isn't you know, this isn't for me, I do my own thing. I remember hearing about a novice in another monastery who would have the Vinaya classes um, with the, the monks and Anagarikas, and um, after the Vinaya classes, he would go back to his kuti, and uh, uh, he, he was so incredibly angry, he would just punch the walls of his kuti. Uh, just the hearing about the rules made him uh, so livid. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't think he became a bhikkhu. But there was, you know, there was a strong reaction to that uh, sense of what we, you know, what we follow. And, and uh, I think it's quite helpful to see for ourselves, you know, how we we take up uh, rules, we take up precepts, and our relationship to them, because uh, 
it can seem in itself something that is just, uh, they're just good things to follow, they're helpful. Something around simplicity like not eating in the afternoon or evening. This is something that keeps things more simple. But then we might relate to that in a, a way of like, well, what can I get away with? What can I have? What can I get? Uh, or as I said, you know, feeling angry about it or resentful. I want my freedom. And yet, again, this isn't a moral precept, so it's not, it's not something to, to judge others about. You know, I'm so much better than those five precept followers. The five precepts, I mean, the, there are stream enters who are on five precepts. There's, it's not a, this isn't a, a competition. But there's, there's aims towards simplicity, and, and the, the bhikkhus, of course, take on um, more than just the 227. I think there's, I think I've heard Ajahn uh, Amaro say there's like 10,000 derivatives from those. So there's, there's always a way we can kind of reflect on this. Um, and more, I think it's helpful to, to think about our relationship to them because it, it could be one out of fear, um, especially when one becomes a bhikkhu and the, the recourse for certain rules is that one can never be a bhikkhu again if one breaks um, some of those rules. You know, an example of that is like killing another human being intentionally or, um, or stealing something of a, a slightly higher value. Uh, that, that, that basically divorces one from the Sangha. So they're, they're just kind of, uh, these can bring on a lot of fear for, for, for certain um, monks or, or nuns who have to, to follow these or have, have essentially volunteered to follow them. And so it, it, kind of, it kind of just reminds me about how easy it is for us to, um, to think about like our experience and, and to, to push it out in terms of our, our attention towards everything that we're experiencing and, and how that, that can kind of influence our, our own minds. And we can see like we can find fault with ourselves for doing certain things, we take on rules and Again, the, the rules are meant not as um, punishing devices or uh, a way for us to, to make uh, ourselves into um, like a, a perfect behaving human being. Um, uh, in certain ways, uh, that might seem like the objective, but it's, it's really the, the release of the mind. And uh, we can take on so many things that, that don't help us in that way. So it's important that we're, we're very aware of why we're, you know, why we're, we're, we're following these precepts, what we're doing with them, how we're using them. And they are meant for that exactly. They're meant to be used. They're meant to be picked up and then used as a tool um, to prevent us from, from essentially getting into trouble. And yet sometimes we can pick them up and cause a lot of trouble for ourselves based on um, how we use them. And part of this, part of what I was pointing at, was the, um, 
kind of how we how we use our rules in the context of uh, the important principle around around dukkha, and not just rules, but just in terms of how we really experience the world in terms of what's right and wrong. And as I was talking about, for some people, it it just feels wrong to follow rules in general. Um, and for others, they're quite comforting. They give a lot of comfort. And for others who investigate this um, for themselves, they might find that it's not only comfort, it's, it's security, security from uh, bondage, which is very strange because most people, or not most people, but some people think that rules are bondage. You know, they, they tie one down. <clears throat> I'd rather be able to go like, you know, 90 miles an hour, what's 65 is just too slow for me. And so we, we, we don't sometimes realize that um, the, the result of, um, of leading a moral life and uh, one of, of simplicity and renunciation actually leads uh, towards uh, an unbound nature. And uh, I think Lumpur Pasno has, has talked many times about uh, Lumpur Cha and how even though he, he really was a master at, at following the Vinaya, um, yet he didn't seem uptight at all around this. So he didn't compromise his Vinaya at all, but he wasn't holding it tightly, which seems strange if you think about you know, following 10,000 rules. How is that possible? So just just shifting on that that riff a little bit, it's uh, it's also I think uh, that relationship that I'm talking about, and when I was speaking about uh, how how we relate to dukkha in that way, it it seems that sometimes we can we can feel that um, w- these kind of things, these things of following uh, something that we're told is helpful helpful for us creates um, dukkha for us that we're we're basically um, felt a lot better when we when we don't have to follow these things. We don't have to think about them. We don't need to pay attention. We can just be entertained. But oftentimes, um, we're consistently and constantly reacting to um, our external experience as the source of like what's actually right or wrong. So this is, this is, as I understand it, the, the basic teaching of dukkha. It's like, what's wrong here? There's something wrong here. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with these people. There's something wrong with these rules, this institution. Or if there's something right, then, then I'm the one who's wrong. I can't get it right. And so we have to be very careful because it's, uh, this is something that's defined like almost on a, a continual basis, I find, within the mind. Either I, I, I have to get something right now or I have to get rid of it. And if I, if I have to, if I can't uh, really accomplish one of those things and I feel anxious or worried or I feel um, fearful or... Uh, 
or I, I have a feeling of just wanting to get out of here, wanting to distract myself. I'd rather not do any of this. And then we just question all the time. We can question whether what's, what's the right thing, who am I, what's going on, I'm not sure. And so this is the, the constant working of the mind, the machination of the mind. And that's why uh, through the Buddha's teaching around you know, paying attention, looking clearly into our experience, it, it seems so difficult because the innate experience of being born is that something's wrong. A child comes out of the womb and it's just, you know, there's a worry if it's not screaming and crying right away. It's like it's not breathing. If it's not suffering, it's not breathing. So we gotta get it to suffer right away. So the, I'm not sure if this is still the practice, but you know, baby's raised up and slapped on the, on the butt, slapped on the back, get the liquids out, start your suffering. Let's get this going. And, uh, and it's a, yeah, it's a, it seems like that's, that's just the, the beginning. It's the beginning of, of a sense of like, wow, it's cold, uh, the light, the, everything. You can see, the senses are probably just overwhelmed right at, at the moment of birth. And so uh, our natural proclivity is this reaction. It's a, this constant reaction to, to what is wrong. And no matter what we, what we tend to do um, at first, we still engage in that, that belief. So like something's wrong with um, this place, I gotta go find another place, or something's wrong with these people. The, um, one of the things that I was mentioning to a community member here was uh, there's a, a nun um, in the Tibetan tradition, and she said that uh, when people um, ask her about staying longer term at, at the monastery, whether it's explore nation or just to just uh, be a, a more longer-term guest or resident, she said that's that's okay, yeah. But um, she said just so you know, you're going to. Uh, I'm sorry if I've mentioned this before. She said you're you're gonna um, you're gonna start staying here, but then you're gonna you're gonna come to me at some point, and you're going to say to me, you know, I, I think there's something a bit wrong with the chanting. And uh, if we only had like, I think we should do more in English or, um, you know, we should do more in the traditional language. Uh, maybe it should be Pali, should go straight to Tibetan, um, Lhasa Gay, or maybe we should do things in Amdo Gay. You know, there's, there's like, if there's something wrong, we, we should probably uh, do more chants with Metta in it because there's, there's too much uh, reflection on death. Or she'll say, but, but if it's not the chanting, then it's probably the food. You, know, you, won't, you won't think the food's right, or there should be less of it or more of it. Or it should be a higher quality. Why isn't everything organic? Why is there so much uh, that's put out at breakfast? You know, it should just, we, there shouldn't be breakfast. I mean, just one meal. Is, just keep it simple. 
and you know we shouldn't have breakfast, so I'm not tempted. You know that's 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 how it should be. And uh, or we we just say there's not enough. Or she said you'll you'll uh, you'll think the schedule's wrong. There's too much scheduling, way too much going on. I just want to have time on my own. Or there's there's uh, I need more structure. I need something more. Uh, there's not a presence here. People should be present for me. I can't practice alone. I can't practice with all these people. They make too many weird noises and, and they're just uh, totally distracting. I have to sit next to this person I really don't like. And so on it goes. And she didn't mention, yeah, the fourth one that's usually complained about. The people are wrong. Something wrong with the people. So we, we go on and on with these these experiences, not seeing very clearly the obvious that most of us know, but even as I point this out, it's just how many times a day do we not see clearly that we are putting the experience of what we're going through as the cause of our, our dukkha. Whether it's out there or in the mind, it shouldn't be like this. It should be some other way. I should be getting what I want. It's not strict enough here. It's way too strict. I remember um, in the early days uh, when I was first here, I met Lumpur Pasno, and then he went on sabbatical for a year, so I was here with Ajinamaro, and, and uh, Ajinamaro had his particular strict tendencies. Uh, his ways that he, he wanted us to train. Never let your socks fall below your, uh, your calf. If you take a, um, a spoonful of food, then you put the spoon down until you swallowed. These were the little things. And then, um, oh, and never pick up a sandwich. But then with Lumpur Pasano, he came and said, okay. Um, and I remember the, the, the first time I experienced uh, my belief that Lumpur Pasana was a teddy bear and I was wrong. Just a soft teddy bear, nice, like a ethereal cloud floating through the monastery, saying wise things to me in very sweet and flowery ways. I'll only feel happy. And I think with, it was within, I was a novice, uh, Lumpur came and um, I became a novice pretty quickly right after he came back from his sabbatical and then Ajinamo was to leave about three months later and uh, I said something kind of stupid in front of uh, the whole group, just some nitpicky thing about what was it, a rule, you know, how many layers are we, uh, is it appropriate to stack um, you know, are we allowed to sit on, compared to a senior monk who sits there, you know, are we, can we have, you know, basically like, I wanted something. You know, I was being told I needed to sit in a, 
lower space, not by Lumpur, by another, by a, a monk who is a new monk or a new, it was a samanera, he was telling me. And uh, so I was trying to get my way. And, uh, and Lumpur um, basically answered, well, and this is in the dining hall right before the Anamodana. And he said, well, if that's what you guys are talking about in the, uh, in the monk's room, then uh, it's not really worth talking about. And uh, I could see in my mind this desire. No, no, no. I want to, yes or no. Like, do I, can I just sit on what I want to sit on? Or like, you know, but I said, okay, I'll take that as your answer. And then Lumpur called me over after that. After uh, everybody had left and we had actually finished the meal. And uh, no one had collected his bowl yet, so I felt kind of happy I was going to collect his bowl. And he said, Chunda. I was a samanera at that time, so I was a novice, newly minted novice. And he said, when I, uh, when I told you that uh, about um, not really thinking that it was uh, very helpful to talk about that, those things in the monk's room, did you know what I was, what I was getting at? And I immediately made the wrong mistake. This is going to be in Lamport's biography, by the way. Um, of kind <clears> of, <throat> oh, yeah. And he saw that. I think he saw that. And I said, oh, well, you meant that uh, it's just frivolous for us to kind of be talking about that thing. Or, 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 you know, like, don't worry about it. Or, you know, it's not, worth, it's not really worth uh, talking about something like that. And then I regretted being in the room the next moment because Lumpur, uh, sitting next to Ajahn Amaro, by the way, um, basically let me know what strict was. And he informed me that what I had said uh, was not uh, helpful in front of the time when we were giving an Anamodana, talking about some... Um, rule, and then he informed me that I was trying to get too much comfort in the monastery, and we didn't come here for comfort. We came here to learn about renunciation and so that we can essentially be liberated. We can, we can let go and not be so attached to that. But he didn't say it in the way I'm talking. Uh, it was, had a little bit more energy to it. I think... Uh, I had to control my bladder uh, and was quite concerned and, uh, well, not concerned, I was, there was a lot of beating of the heart and, um, and then uh, feeling of complete embarrassment. Of course, the, all the um, Anagarkas who were <laughs> junior to me and sitting there, they were all still eating and watching this whole thing. So I was quite embarrassed and... Um, and I've, I've never forgotten that. Because there is a Thai phrase about it, uh, something about uh, tightens your stomach and something your liver, shrivels your liver. So it, it did just that. And, and I kind of whimpered out of the room like a, a puppy dog who had been scolded and then told the other monks. And, and uh, I think Ajinyanako as soon as uh, I, I was recalling the story of Janyanikos and Tanyaniko, and, um, and he said, what, what did he say to you? And, and I said, he said, uh, 
Chindo, what did you think when I said, oh, oh, I already know, it's going to be so bad. Don't tell me anymore. Um, and so, like, yeah, it just, it was something that really stuck to me and stuck in my mind for a long time, that teaching. But it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't something I was like, oh, I can't get, can't wait to get another one of these. Um, Lumpur might uh, find it hard to believe that because there were more to come. But uh, that wasn't my, that wasn't my intention. I was trying, try, I wasn't trying to get them. Uh, but but they were all, they were always teachings for me, and they were always helpful and important. And yet, and yet they were, they were painful lessons. Uh, they were painful lessons because they weren't, uh, they were done for my benefit, but they weren't done in a way of kind of, all right, let me find, you know, I'll find the right time. Lumpur wasn't, I'll find the right time, the right place. So it's, there's nothing to be upset about. Completely soft, and he'll just feel so happy. And it just, that doesn't work. I mean, that's not going to stick in my memory. That's not going to help me. And yet, and yet the, the, you might hear this. Oh, that's kind of what I want. Or the good old days with Lumpur. Oh, they're gone. He's such a teddy bear. But we essentially, like, even though I learned from those things, and they were very important, um, I think that kind of, again, externalizing the experience is like, this is what's wrong with the place, or this is what's right in the place. And there were times when I, uh, you know, it took me a while, let's say, till I learned those lessons and took them in as beneficial um, before I was like, why is he doing me and I'm not... You know, this, I shouldn't be uh, the one who's kind of always the foil in this, and why, why, why can't he just give other people a hard time? And whatever, it just kind of went on whinging and, you know, like, a, as I said, just like a, a little puppy is kind of whining and uh, um, woe is me. But later, you know, later these, these things meant something. But I, I still think that uh, you can go to different monasteries and you'll have all kinds of different experiences. And we can, we can wish there one way or another, or we can go to not just a monastery, but any place in our life, any, any situation. And we can think that it's perfect, this is exactly what I want. Or it's just not, this is terrible. This, is, this isn't, this isn't going to work for me, I have to find something else. There was a, a guest who came here last year, and, and within about, he was supposed to stay for, I think, two weeks, and he left after about five days and couldn't find him, and uh, was a bit worried, and then um, someone said, oh, I think he left. Oh, he left, okay. Did he say anything to anybody? No, he didn't say anything. And so I contacted him. I said, hey, I uh, just want to make sure you're okay. Didn't hear from you, didn't see you. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I said, well, you know, what was, why did, you, why did you take off? Just out of curiosity. And he said, oh, this, just people are talking too much. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just not my thing. There's just way too much talking here at that, at that monastery. I just want to find a place. I'm more comfortable with myself. It uh, was kind of the, the sense I was getting. I'm more comfortable with myself. I don't need to talk. And... Uh, 
I think one of the Anagarkas had mentioned that uh, when they were around him and they were, they were thinking, am I supposed to be afraid of this guy? It was just a feeling of, uh, of fear because uh, there was an off-puttedness put, around him, like a, a sense of, uh, already, like a kind of feeling that, yeah, there's, this isn't right, this place isn't right for him because everybody else isn't good enough. And so um, I've been the guest monk for a long, long periods of time. And I, unfortunately, I kind of, this got the best to me and I kind of, or the worst to me. And I kind of said, you know, I just want to suggest if it's okay with you, you know, if you don't want to take this on, it's fine. But just next time you go to another place, not just a monastery, just, uh, just please try to be considerate with letting people know when you leave. Because I didn't find it very considerate. Or I might have said, unfortunately, the word inconsiderate. And what I got back was something like, um, it's not easy for people um, to encounter those who understand the Dhamma. And there's nothing more uninspiring than a bunch of arrogant monks. And I thought, wow. That must be quite painful. And the, you know, the, that sense of again externalizing it just, uh, we, can, we can take that on so much and it, and it just, it continues in our, in our lives. Um, and it can always be uh, sort of something that we identify, we see like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing it again, or there it is, you know. I'm kind of blaming my circumstances or blaming my own behavior, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with others. But we, we, we sometimes will gloss over this as we come with our ideals of how things should be. And this is, this is where ignorance comes from. It's like, this isn't, this, this isn't proper for me. I can't be here. I can't do this. Is quite uh, quite a helpful um, metaphor that Umpor Chage, Umpor Pasna was hinting at it a little bit tonight. But he was he was saying, you know, that it can be common. I'm not sure if he was specifically referring to monks, but I thought he was when he was saying that, you know, you have I don't know if you've seen these bags are called yams. The monks will will carry them around. They're very simply made. They're just a square with a single handle that goes over the shoulder and and you kind of carry that, you take your yam around, take your bowl, and you, you go, I gotta, I gotta go to a different place, because this place stinks. And so you go to a different place, you go to the beach, everything's really nice at the beach until you find that it stinks again. So you have to go somewhere else, nice forest, and that's really nice too, but then you find it, that stinks there, so you go to a, a nice little monastery and you find, yeah, these people are pretty nice here. I can live here a little while. But you find that they stink. And so you have to go somewhere else. And so many of you have heard this story. On and on it goes. And Lombor Cha even talked about it with himself when he was saying, oh, he just wanted to get away from everybody and then 
within a, a few short weeks. He's, it would be nice to have a novice around, help me out. And what you don't realize is what, what stinks about everything is your, it's, it's your own stench. You're carrying it in your yam. It's like you're carrying excrement around in your yam and saying everywhere it stinks, but you're carrying it with you. It's your own mind that stinks. It's your own mind that is picking up the excrement and putting it everywhere. Or not realizing it's just within the mind. And we, we might see this in gross levels, but what we, what we sometimes don't see is just the subtle levels that this is uh, happening often and all the time. And we can get so confused by ignorance around that. So we've been um, practicing with the, the fourth Satipatthana. We've been trying to understand the mind uh, more clearly and uh, the subjects we've, we've come to already are the, the hindrances, um, the khandas. We'll focus on the Four Noble Truths Seven factors for awakening. Um, the six sense bases. These are all, all this kind of, all these different ways that the Buddha points to, like keep looking at this experience, keep looking at what it is you are saying is wrong and try to analyze it from an understanding of these different concepts. These different ways that we can kind of try to understand uh, what it is that's actually going on, rather than continuing to come back to, there's something wrong here, wrong with these people, or more aptly, there's something wrong with me. Because when there's something wrong with me, then I get, to, I get to solidify that, and I get to stay with it, and I get to, to really believe it. There's something wrong with my experience, there's something wrong with my meditation, I'm not getting it right, or it's good right now, but what if it goes away? Even when we're happy with our own meditative experience, that happiness is based on the stability of that meditation. And so sometimes when we unearth something in our meditation practice that destabilizes us, and we think that's wrong, something that's painful that we connect with. And that's got to be wrong. It can't be right. Because I, I should be feeling happy all the time. That's the goal. Just happy all the time. And so when we're, when we're not, then sometimes we just go right there. Just right into the, something's wrong. Which is interesting, because if we flip it around, we say, okay, something's right. Rather than, I had all this concentration, I was really just so deep in the breath, so pleasurable, and then the next meditation was just all over the map. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It should be that one good meditation, then a good one follows it. So, of course, the beauty that we're learning around this is when we're able to say, no, this is right. 
I can't, I can't determine how the mind's always going to be reacting in a particular situation or with a particular experience. As we've gone now a month in the winter retreat that we have here, there's a lot of uh, quiet, there's a lot of space, there's not guests kind of coming and going. There's a lot of time during this particular retreat that the monastics have. Even if they're not on solitary retreat, there's many monastics who are here not doing the pujas. Um, and for the retreat crew, there's, there's hopefully also a, a sense of that opening as well. Even though there is the structure of the, the pujas, um, there is also those times where back to your kuti, back to your dwelling, spend time alone. And then we have that space. And we can examine that, like how often does that come up for us? It's just, this, is, this isn't the, the right time to sit or um, I need a different walking path. I have to have a covered walking path or uh, walking is wrong, it doesn't help me at all. It's too wet out, I can't walk in the rain. Whatever it might be. So the, 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 the basis of what I'm talking about here is contentment. How do we generate contentment? And it, it comes from that pointing ability we have, that kind of sense of, of seeing very clearly what's actually happening. So we're clearing away the ignorance so we can see that um, it's not wrong. People will say, I had a bad meditation. Of course, I really like the... Um, and and I, this isn't completely true, what I'm about to say, but this, this uh, typical phrase that you've heard, the only bad meditation is the one I didn't do. And I think, that's, I think that's, that holds a lot to it. It's not completely true. You know, we do have to lend uh, right effort. We have to um, endeavor in our meditation. This is Bhavana's development. Um, so it's not, just, it's not just sitting there. But it's got, it's got a lot of poignancy, that, that sense of like, well, actually, like, is, is it a bad meditation? Is there something wrong here? So the, the emphasis that, that we have in our tradition is, is it doesn't matter like, uh, you know, what you think is a good or bad meditation. It matters whether you, you learned. And so if you, if you turn the lens back on what, what is going on for you, then it, it comes down to learning. And that can only come from contentment. Because you can't learn if you're, if you're discontent because something's always wrong. And so we, we, you know, we want to give attention. We want to try to learn to extend our t attention, to, uh, to learn how to be very patient with difficult experience. And that's not the way of the world. That is not uh, what's being pointed at. And it's getting harder and harder 
for people to be able to to pay attention. It's getting harder and harder because our world demands um, a very limited attention span. And I think statistically, this is this is what's uh, what's being found is that people are just they can't quite sustain uh, their ability to to stay with things is um, is diminishing because things have to be very exciting all the time, and boredom is not something that is uh, at all uh, espoused to be something that we can learn from. It's something that is to be avoided at all costs. Boredom is evil. It's the antithesis of life. And you can't learn anything from it. At least that's what we're, we're told, right? So the uh, um, people just, uh, just watch a short video or something and then they have to move on very quickly. It's a, it's a very it's a very strange world we live in. People say they're things like they're content creators, or they're they're social influencers, and these are these are praised. These are praised things. Well, this person's got uh, thirty million followers. Incredible social influencer. I think it'd be more apt for them to introduce themselves as like, hi, I'm, I'm Mara's servant. Won't you come and play with me? I'll diminish your, in, your attention. Just like that, the snap of the finger. You'll just be entertained and never bored again. And you'll have no idea for the rest of your life how to deal with boredom. Or like a content creator, it's like a, it's like, hi, I am a master of papancha. Let me bring you into my world. And, uh, and, and that's, where, that's where the world is headed, right? That's samsara. It's this endless rebirth of, of content, interest in content, thinking that the content is what matters. It's, it's all our, our lives are really about. And there's an allure to the screens. There's a lure, an allure to that. And so all of us have to be very careful about that mystification because it's teaching us that learning and patience are wrong. Those are not good attributes. We need to get excited all the time uh, and um, we shouldn't ever expect to wait. I think like pe uh, people put on their screens like, wait for it. They have to tell people now, well, don't, don't leave yet, don't, don't leave this. Don't leave this website or don't leave this thing or whatever it is I'm trying to get you attracted to, wait for it. So we, we have to be very careful of that allure because even in a monastery, this can, this can occur, you know. As I've been dealing with uh, 
with um, trying to, to move uh, the building of some kutis along, I can see that, that impatience creeping in. It should just be easy. It shouldn't be difficult. It should be straightforward. I shouldn't have to struggle. And, and it's so sad because the, 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 the real way of relating to this is always around learning. What am I learning from this? Am I learning how to wait? Am I learning how to expect that um, I, I can't always get what I want? Patience. And so as we're, we're going along with this retreat, we want to keep emphasizing that over and over again. What am I learning here? Rather than what am I not getting? And the, the learning is, it can, it can be very, through very painful uh, experiences and aspects, as I've mentioned. And so we, we keep understanding that, as Ajahn Jayasaro uh, likes to, to say over and over again. He says that Buddhism is an education system, is a way for us to educate ourselves. This is what the Four Noble Truths are about. It's a self-education, it's the clearing away of ignorance through our understanding of what is difficult. And so when we have uh, a good meditation, we don't you know, kind of identify with that, say, that's me, that's solid, I'm finally getting it. Or here it comes, this great experience. I'm going to have it over and over again. I'm going to really get into the meditation. We can set up a whole schedule for ourselves where every minute is filled. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. No, no dessert. No more. Except today. And so what did we learn? That's, what, that's where we, we go with all of this. Because sometimes when we think that something is so painful and difficult to go through, we don't recognize that it's actually, that's part of what the Buddha was teaching. He said, this is a tough path. This is the most difficult thing that one can do. It's easier to be a world conqueror than to liberate the mind. And so, you know, we, we can really take some wisdom from that and just learn to continually be patient with not getting what we want or, um, or getting what we want and having it taken away. And so we just keep relating to our experience in that way. And then uh, we gain an, a, a very deep understanding of what it is that not only we're capable of, but what it is we're capable of learning so that we start to see how we cause ourselves dukkha and then we, we learn how to unravel that and how to not get ourselves in, in trouble. Just a little bit each day and then it accumulates and that's wisdom. I mean, I talked a little bit longer than I thought I would, so I'm sorry about that, but uh, it's just some words for uh, reflection and
uh, if there's anything that's been there uh, that's been helpful, please utilize that, use it for your practice, and anything else that uh, hasn't been, then feel free to leave it behind. <laughs>